in my life? You know, when we think about those questions, lots of times we're focused in on what I would like God to be doing for me. What, what is it that I think God should be doing in my life? And when we do that, we really create God in our image rather than allowing ourselves to understand the God that's described in Scripture. And so in this series of lessons that we're going to be walking through during the month of January, we're thinking, okay, what does the Bible actually say that God will be at work doing in our lives? How can we know the real God, rather than some God that we've created to do what we want him to do. That oftentimes disappoints us because it's not the God who's actually described in Scripture. And so we're looking at some promises that God has made, some things that he's affirmed in our lives that we can count on that he will do. And last week we began the series thinking about God's presence in our lives and how he promises, he gives us a mission and says, I'm going to be there with you as you perform this mission, as you complete what I've called you to do. And today I want us to take that and then go to another promise that God's made that we can depend on as we think about what God has promised to do in our lives. Now, you know, one of the ways to make yourself sound old is to say the other night while we were watching a gardening show, or maybe it's just boring, I don't know anyway, but the other night while Leanne and I were watching a gardening show, there was this guy who was talking about a garden that he had created in his backyard, which was really sizable, and he has this bench in the sort of the center of the garden, and he was sitting on that bench talking about what he had done in this space. And he said, you know, we spend so much of our time thinking about the past and planning for the future and so little time in the present. And he said, when I sit on this bench in the garden, I try to stay in the present and think about this moment that's in front of me. And, you know, I thought, man, that's, that's right, isn't it? I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about the past and the future. We spend a lot of time planning for what we're going to do this week or this afternoon. Some of you are thinking about what the plan is for lunch right now, okay? And we're thinking about what, what we're worried about, something that we know is approaching. We don't know how to handle it. We're concerned that it's going to cause all kinds of problems. We're thinking about something we're excited about, that we're anticipating. And then we're also looking back, right? And maybe we're enjoying some memories that we've, we've thought through. Maybe there are some things that we're looking back on that trouble us. If we're honest, we at times think about things that we've done or said that we really wish that we could take back. Some things that we know were just wrong. Things that we should call, if we're honest with ourselves and with God, sin. And how that sin affects us today and how it affects us into the future. And the question is, what about that? We know that our sin really does affect our relationship with God, right? We know that our sin alienates us from other people because it hurts their feelings. And we know that our sin alienates us from God. So what has God said that he'll do about that? Today I want us to look in the book of 1 John to get an answer to that. We're going to look at just three verses in 1 John chapter 1. We'll get there in just a minute. 1 John is this letter that John the Apostle wrote, okay? It's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And if you read both those books sort of side by side, what you find is one tells a story, one's talking to the church, but the themes that show up in these two books are very similar. For example, 
At the beginning of 1 John, the letter, chapter 1, we see John talking about light and darkness and how we are called to live in the light, which means following God. Now, that is a theme that shows up over and over again in the gospel as well, the the contrast between light and darkness. And here in 1 John, we're called to live in the light. But what happens when we don't? What happens when we don't live in the light? What happens when we sin, when we mess up, when we choose darkness over light, when we choose what we want over what God has commanded? What happens then? Because we know that the the consequences are devastating. We felt the separation between us and God. Here's what John tells us. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. He says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, then the truth is not in us. Now, John is writing in part to deal with some false teaching that's going on in the church. And from from this verse and some other passages in 1 John, it seems as though part of this false teaching is people saying, I'm not a sinner. So I am so good, right? My moral character is so strong that I don't sin. John says, hogwash, right? That's not true. Every one of us have sinned. And then there's also this false teaching that there is no such thing as sin. In other words, anything goes. You just decide what's right and wrong in your life. You get to decide for you. I get to decide for me. But outwardly, there's no objective thing that is called sin. Well, in some ways, we would love for one or both of those to be true, right? I wish I was so good that I never sinned. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? We also wish that there was no such thing as sin, right? Then I wouldn't be guilty. I could just do whatever I want. wouldn't really matter. That would make life a lot easier if I didn't have to worry about doing right and wrong. But, But John is saying if you believe either one of those things, you're kidding yourself. Because it's just not true. That's not the way that it is. And so then he goes into, okay, let's just admit we're sinners, right? Then what do we do? Verse 9, which is filled with meaning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's like every phrase in that one little verse that sounds so simple is loaded. Like we just begin, if we confess our sins. John's saying this is part of what we're called to do, is to confess our sins. Now, it's pretty easy to say, apparently he's dealing with false teaching that would say the opposite, but it's pretty easy for us to say, I'm a sinner. Because most of us in this room, if I said, okay, who's a sinner? I'm not asking you to, don't worry. Raise your hand. If we were honest with ourselves, most of us would say, yeah, that's, that's me. In fact, it wouldn't be that uncomfortable because the hands are all going to go up. Yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. That's not what John's talking about here. Note that he says, if we confess our sins. Not if we confess that we are sinners, if we confess our sins. In other words, John is saying there's a place and time for naming our specific individual sins, the sins that I, James Jones, have committed. Now, I'm not saying we've got to stand up in front of a group, but we need to be honest with God. 
And we say, that's not really very much fun. No, it's not. It is uncomfortable and unpleasant to talk about the specific things that I've done wrong. And yet, John says we need to do it. Why? Because it's healing. Okay? It's honest. It's saying to God, listen, this is who I am, and I know it. I know it. And I'm confessing this to you. We hear Paul saying very similar things over in Romans chapter 3, where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? There's not one of us that can say, I haven't done this. But then we go on in this one verse in 1 John. If we confess our sins, then we turn to God. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Now, at first glance, we might say, I don't get that because it doesn't really seem just that God would forgive me, right? My sin deserves punishment. We have a sense of that. We know when we've done something wrong, we feel bad about it and, and it just feels like we should have to pay a price. But John says God is just and forgives. And the only way that that makes sense is if someone else has paid the price for my sin, right? And we know who it is. We know that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Throughout Scripture, God dealt with His people in terms of a covenant, right? We see that in the Old Testament with the great leaders of Israel. We, we see that over and over again. The same is true in the New Testament. And God has said, because Jesus died on a cross, that dealt with your sin problem. We're going to get to how we respond to that in a minute. But the point is, God is just in that, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we have sinned. That sin deserves some consequence, but... The price has already been paid. And because the price has been paid, God's justice says we can be forgiven. That's what God has promised us. So he'll forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now that tells us there's two things going on there. First of all, we're sinners and that sin needs forgiveness. But he goes a step further than that and says he's going to purify us from all unrighteousness, which says... We're unrighteous. How'd that happen? Well, our sin. I and mean, we know how real sin can feel in our lives, and we know how stained it can make us feel. And John is saying it, it does that. It has an effect on who you are. But the good news is that God is just, and because Jesus died on a cross, you can be forgiven, and that unrighteousness, that uncleanness can be taken away. You can be made clean. You can be purified because of Jesus. And only, only because of Jesus. There's no other options out there. Because we just can't be good enough to deal with it on our own. And then he circles back when we come to verse 10. He says, if we claim to have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now that sounds something like what he said in verse 8, right? That we deceive ourselves. But here he says, if you say you haven't sinned or if you say there is no sin, what you're saying is not that you're wrong. You're saying God's lying. God's either intentionally lying or God's somehow confused and doesn't understand how things work. Now do you want to say that? John's asking these Christians, do you really want to say 
that God has been deceived or is deceiving. Is that where you want to go? Because if you say you haven't sinned, if you say you don't need the grace of Jesus Christ, then that's what you're saying about God. John says, think about that before you act. And we read through that. It comes down to a very simple lesson that is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of who we are. And it's sort of a good news, bad news situation. The bad news is this. You're a sinner. So am I. And we have to accept that. That's part of the reality. The good news is Jesus is a forgiver. Jesus came because he wanted to forgive us of our sin. And that's what we celebrate as Christians. The fact that we have been forgiven over and over. We've been forgiven because God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, Paul sort of echoes that same thought I read the beginning of this a few minutes ago in Romans chapter 3 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but it continues and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus the bad news we're all sinners the good news Jesus is a forgiver but we might say okay how do we respond to this and the good news really is that I don't have to be known for the very worst part of my life. I don't have to be known for the very worst part of me. Now, we, we've seen people who, and they live an okay life, then they do one stupid thing, and that's what everyone knows them for. And at one level, that's true of us, that each one of us have done something that we really wish was not in the history books. And maybe even if no one else knows us for that thing, we do. The good news of Christianity is, whatever that thing is that you don't want to be known for, God can forgive it. Whatever the worst thing about you is, the worst thing you've done, God can forgive it. So how do we respond to this offer of forgiveness and being made clean of our unrighteousness. Scripture lays out a pretty clear plan. We're called to faith, which means a couple things. It means acknowledging Jesus is who he said he was, that he's the son of God, that he does offer us forgiveness. He has that power because of what he's done. And then it's trusting him for that forgiveness. It's putting our trust in Jesus. We know there's no forgiveness anywhere else. And so we trust him. We trust that he is who he said he was and that he can forgive our sins. And we say, okay, this is, this is the person I want to entrust this life and eternity with. And you know, in, in the very first day of the church, Peter stood up. He had been with Jesus for three years. He stood up and said, listen, just a few weeks ago, you people killed Jesus. And he was the son of God. And, and Peter's language and rhetoric that day was so clear that the people said, you know what? He's right. We killed the son of God. And I said, okay, Peter, what, what do we do about that? And this is his answer. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, people today who respond in the same way. Peter says, repent. That's very much like what John is saying. John says, confess your sin, lay it out there. And Peter's saying, do that and then go one step further. Repentance is acknowledging our sin, but it's also saying, I'm going to change. I'm going to live in a different way. I'm not going to keep living the life I've been living. There's something better out there and God has called me to it and I'm going to follow that call and be baptized. Peter says this is part of the process of engaging God. It's part of the process of forgiveness and inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. And, you know, when we think about baptism, we practice believers' immersion, right? People make their decision to follow Jesus and we immerse them in water because that's what the word meant in New Testament times, to put somebody under the water and lift them up. And so that's the baptism that we do, trying to obey this very command. Bad news is, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, each one of us. The good news is, Jesus dealt with that, and he offers forgiveness, and he is waiting for us to respond to that. And we're going to have a time to respond here in just a minute. You know, we sing an invitation uh, every week in this service, and anyone's welcome to come and to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, to, to be a member of our church as well. And, and some people are comfortable with that, and other people say, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm ready to stand in front of a group and get wet in front of a group, and that's okay. We can do it anytime. And you can call me during the week or send me an email, and I'd be glad to talk with you about this process. If coming down here during a service is not the way you want to do it, don't let that stop you. Because God is calling each one of us to this very core truth that he wants to forgive your sin. Let's pray together. Now we come before you and we ask that you would forgive us. Because we know we've chosen darkness over light. And we're ashamed of it. And God, we celebrate the fact that you have forgiven. And once again, we plead with you for, for forgiveness that we don't deserve, but that you offered in Jesus. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you've made that decision that it's time to follow Jesus and to receive that gift of forgiveness, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.